I'm excited to share with you immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God we serve. And I always want to let people know I'm about as ordinary as you can get. Where Susan has known me all of my Christian life. Am I an ordinary person? So, oh, and Patricia was my roommate in college, so she has a lot of bad things to say about me. <laughs> don't believe most of them. Okay, some of them. Yeah, don't. Secrets just between God can use any of us. Sometimes we think that we are limited by our knowledge, that we are limited by our education, we are limited physically, or we are limited by where we live. There is no limitations when it comes to Jesus. God is bigger than this room. He's bigger than anything. And when God first brought me in 2006 to Uganda, it was horrible. There was a war going on, and it had been going on for 25 years. There was a crazy man named Joseph Coney. You can look it up. It's K-O-N-Y, Joseph Coney. And for 25 years, he'd gone from village to village, which is just small huts with families, mom, dad, auntie, uncle, their children. And he went and slaughtered everybody. Everybody, brutally. One of our kids drew, drew this picture of a child that was pregnant. And they had, am I going to get too deep for him? Okay. And had a rebel boot on the foot, with his foot on the mom's pregnant baby belly. And he was cutting it out. This is a drawing by one of our kids. So when I went to Uganda, and I began to hear these stories. Joseph, they put a machete in my hand, and they said, you kill this child, or this other child's gonna kill you. That's the lives these children lived in day by day. Everywhere I went, there were orphans. And I don't know about you, but I'm a skeptic. I thought World Vision, Campus, you know, Compassion, just found that one child that had the flies and, you know, all of that. But it was all of them, all of the kids I saw, sitting in their feces. Where are their parents? Well, they don't have any. Why? They were killed by this rebel leader. He's called the Lord's Resistance Army. They were all killed. Well, what did they do with the children? Well, from the age of six to the age of 12, they would take the child out of their family's home, rip them out of their mother's arms, kill the mom and dad, and then take these children into deep into the bush. They had to be barefoot, no shirt, and they were tied one to another. So you would be tied with your hands here a rope around your waist, and then Bud would be tied behind and it would continue. And they would walk for miles, no food, no water. They had to drink their urine. 
this is the reality that I walked into. And I said, God, what is this hellhole? Excuse my French. What is this place? And I kept hearing these stories, seeing these children, watching these people living with nothing. At nighttime, the children would come into town because that was a safe place. Because where they were living, the rebels would come in at night, right, and abduct them. So they came into town and they were sleeping on the lanais and the verandas and the hallways of hospitals. And so they built this, they put a fence, eight, 10 foot fence around this piece of property. And the UNICEF had these big old tents. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those huge tents. I think it was in the video. And by the way, which was freely given to us, along with the brochures God keeps providing. And, uh, and the kids would just walk in at night. I remember walking down the street and seeing these lifeless ghosts coming down the street, and they were children. They were children. They had nothing. And they were walking here at night, and they were, they came in, they walked in, they laid down right next to, and just spooning thousands of them, 7,000 in this one place at night. They didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have a mat to lay the bodies on. Didn't have a pillow. Didn't even have clothes. One girl, Fida, she was dressed, all she had was a plastic bag as her shorts. So I was like, God, somebody needs to do something. I believe and know that if each one of you were there and you saw that, you would say, God, somebody needs to do something. I know you would be thinking that. And that's what I was praying. Somebody needs to do that. Having breakfast one morning, and I'm sitting down, and this little boy comes crawling up on his knees, and he says something in his language. And I said, Rose, what is he saying? And she said, he wants to have my leftovers. Okay, get that? My leftovers. He didn't want me to buy a meal. He wanted my leftovers. I, that was it. I was done. I, was, I said, give him whatever he wants. I got up and I laid on this bed on the guest room on the concrete floor, and I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but whatever it is, I'll do it. That somebody... <laughs> that I had been praying for happened to be me. <laughs> you know, and I had no idea what that meant like. What that meant like. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Thank you. That's why we need Penny in the room. So I came back to the U.S. I'd been working for Josh McDowell. Called his wife Dottie and I said, Dottie, I... I can't eat my cereal. I'm crying in my cereal. I turn the light on and I cry. Go to Costco after you've seen that kind of poverty. I walked in and went, ah, uh, no. And I just, I couldn't do it. You just see all this food. You see everything that somebody needs, but these children don't have it. And so she would pray with me and people started giving me money. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I funneled it through a ministry that sent it over. And finally, it was just like, I can't 
work here and help these children. And at night, I would see their faces and I would hear, don't forget me. And I couldn't. I couldn't forget them. I, I still look at their faces. I still watch the video and it, you know, I tear up and um, don't forget me. And so I quit my job a year later and I had $8,000 in the bank. Woo! I was rich. I lived in Dallas and I figured this would last me six months, nine months, something like that. Because there was no way I was going to take the money from these kids' mouth that came in. I just couldn't do it. Six months later, guess what I got? A brain tumor. Guess how big it was? Size of a tennis ball. I didn't have insurance. Immeasurably more. I didn't have insurance. And a surgeon came in. He says, you have to have surgery now. And I'm like, I don't have money. He goes, it doesn't matter. You're in a Baptist hospital. And they have to provide. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got the bill. Paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. During that time, the kids were praying for me. Praying for Mama Cindy. And they fasted and prayed. These are children that were not getting a meal every day. These were children that we had just seen in these IDP camps, these refugee camps. So I got back, and we started praying. I'm like, what do we need? We need land. We need a safe place for these kids. You know what? Immeasurably more. What did God do? Provided what? Land. Land. 100 acres. You guys walked on it, 100 acres, $18,000. Don't you wish you could buy 100 acres for $18,000? Can't even get that in Arkansas. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm part comedian, part missionary. You gotta, you know, you gotta love it, right? So, then we showed them the land. Okay, now what do we need? We need homes. They began to pray for homes. We need a school. They began to pray for homes. And what did they see happen? God providing for them. We finally opened our first, what we call villages, because that's what was taken away, their home village. What else? They got their childhood back. You see them skipping and playing and running around. So we said, hmm, what should we name this home? And Stella, she made me this bracelet, I still have it, that was in 2010. And she said, Snyman, love, because I, I will live in love. I'll live in peace. I live in hope. I live in courage. That's the names of the homes. So then the thing is, they started off with little elementary kids Guess what happens with elementary kids over the years? They turn into teenagers, right? Teenagers are teenagers, by the way. So what? We need to build another village, and we need some more land. And guess what God did? Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So we built a, a high school. Some of them are not good, so good academically because... They had been an abduction for five years or four years or three. They missed all this school. So we started a vocational school because God provided immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. 
today we have 625-ish kids at the elementary school, at the high school, and vocational school. We have 60 kids in university. And we have had 162 kids graduate from vocational and university. Five of those kids are teachers. Mercy, Agnes, Barbara, uh, Fortunate, and then uh, Nancy, who placed number one in the entire country academically. I mean, these kids, God took them out of the ashes and have placed them in places of royalty. I mean, our school, we have music, drama, and dance. They place 24th in the entire country of Uganda. You know, we have a boy that's 11 or 12, Stuart, and he placed number one at athletic department in uh, all of Uganda and is going to Brazil in August to represent Uganda in his field, track and field. Hello, can you imagine this little guy who has lived in poverty, didn't want to wear shoes for a long time, and still wants to wear his rags because that's what he came in and he loves those even though we give him good clothes, but no, he wants to, he's not wearing them to Brazil, by the way. <laughs> they are not going in his suitcase. <sighs> Immeasurably more. We have our own pastor. We have a medical clinic. Our godly staff over there, they live at this village in the middle of the bush. It takes you a long time to get there, right? I'm talking to these gals because they just got back. And uh, if you want to talk to any of them, you just... And Rachel, Rachel, wherever she went, there she is. She's going next year. So, and y'all can come too. But anyway, I don't know if her mom knows yet, but. <laughs> um, but it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And then when we have church, we don't go to church. We have church. Mm -hmm. And you hear those kids worship and sing praises to God. I mean, you just see them like this and, you know, crying and praising God. And you're like, I have had church. You, you hear them praying, and I believe it, that all of heaven goes, hey, hey, wait, those Village of Hope kids are praying now. You know, there's, there's little uh, Stephen. He was, a, he was a child soldier, and I remember his broken life. I remember how he had to kill his mom, right? But look at him, he's praising me. He's praying, and I'm gonna stop and listen. I just, I just can imagine all of heaven stopping. I don't know if that's a biblical thing, but I believe God stops and listens to, listens to them because they prayed for me when I had my brain tumor. They prayed. I mean, I am alive today, I believe, because of those kids, and they continue play, praying for Mama Cindy. Um, Patrick, sweet boy, he was born in abduction. So his mom was a child soldier, and she was given to many of the soldiers there, generals and sergeants and stuff, and they had, and she had a baby named him Patrick. 
has no idea who his father is. Well, his mom died. He was rescued out of these rebel camps. And he went back in. That's all he knew. He, all he knew is steal, kill, and destroy. All he knew is brutality. And finally, we were able to rescue him and bring him to Village of Hope. And boy, he's scarred inside and out, you know. And slowly, we started seeing him getting better. But, you know, when, when you're talking about children and trauma, they don't heal immediately. You know, they might see a boot and it reminds them of what happened to them when they were abducted. And it'll revert them right back. Uh, and, and they, all of the healing that happened, it just, it's just like it's gone. And so um, Patrick was out in the field and he was supposed to cut some cassava. It's like yucca plants. And the house mom said, you know, cut some down for me. And he said, no. And he pulled the machete. Machetes over there are like fly swatters. I mean, everybody's got a, a machete. And so he pulled that ma uh, machete on the house mom. And he should have been expelled immediately. And I happened to be there and I pulled him aside and I said, Patrick, this is not who you are. You're a child of God. All the things that happened to you in your past, that's not who you are. And we did not expel him. Well, we did for three weeks, but he was able to come back. And God just transformed his heart. Tran you see it in their faces. These three boys were sitting in the back one time when we were having an administration meeting with the kids at school. And they were in the back, and I turned to Rose and I said, who are those boys? They're kind of scary. I mean, they, they were, because we bring in the older ones to go to vocational, you know, and these, you've seen them, big guys, right? And they're ripped. I don't know what it is about these African guys, but they're like ripped. They look like they've been doing weights or whatever. Anyway, um, and I was, and she goes, well, these are our students. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not going in the dark walking with them. <laughs> and um, so I came back three minutes, three months later, and I said, Rose, where are those boys? They're right there. No. Countenance. Countenance. We can feed them, and that's vital. Jesus did that, right? He fed the 5,000. He healed the leper. We have to meet their physical needs. We can't just go... I'm sorry, Jesus will provide. He provides through us, right? We educate them. How much longer? Uh, you guys 20 minutes. 20? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. No problem. And um, I can talk for another hour, but that's okay. I'll, I'll keep it down. <laughs> and, um, um, but unless they have the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ, all of that is not going to last. What lasts is eternity. Their lives transformed. They get an education. They get to go to this world competition in Brazil, or they name their number one in the country with, you know, they're academically. And those are so great because you know what? It tells them, I'm not some loser. I'm not worthless. 
gives them pride in themselves. But unless they have Jesus, they don't understand their identity in themselves. Now, I'm going to share with you as well, that's us. That's us. Our identity is not what happened to us last week or what we did when we were a teenager or, you know, whatever. Our identity is in Christ, and that won't change. We are his child. You have children. Would you ever give them up? No. They're your child forever, and we're his child, and that's who we are. You know, sometimes I think with even myself, my mom used to tell me terrible things about me, you know, dumb or whatever, and I used to carry that with me. But then as I realized in Ephesians of who I am, I've been adopted, right? I'm sealed. I'm loved. He calls me beloved. You know, he knew me before the creation of the world. And teaching those children that have not understood that message is transforming. And that's what Village of Hope is about. Um, and again, it's just, I go there and I, I walk on those campuses and I think, God, this was nothing. We had nothing. And you have provided. You know, I was talking with um, our staff last year when I went in October, and I asked them, you know, what are our main needs? And a lot of times the government requires so much of us. You have to have this, and you have to have this. You have to have a laboratory, you know, for the school. And I'm not talking a lab. I'm talking, you know, this huge building you know, with all this equipment and sinks and, you know, that stuff's expensive. Well, we need a girl's home. We need, you know, and it just, the list went on. It was over $370,000. Anybody can write a check for that? Well, apparently, there's a man in Maine who heard about us on Facebook. On Facebook. He went to high school with the gal that's been over there. He hadn't been in contact with her since high school. And he calls me up and says, Cindy, what are, you know, what are your main needs right now? I gave him the list. I figure he'll pick a few things. He sent us a check for $372,500. I was like, man, why didn't I add Fiji to that? <laughs> immeasurably more. I mean, seriously, who does that? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Who comes up and says, hey, do you need a video made? We'll spend a week over there filming. Um, sure, right? Oh, I'm having dinner with some people, and he goes, do you need any printing work done? I'm like, yeah, you know, are you going to give us a discount kind of? He goes, no, I own a printer. I'll print everything you have. This young gal lady came over and she said, Cindy, I believe in what you're doing. I'm a photographer. Can I come for a couple weeks and do all this photography? And I'll make you a book, you know, this thicker booklet. And I'm like, well, what do you need? She goes, if you give me my you know, flight over there. And I'm like, okay. And so she does it, and she does this beautiful, all these pictures that we have. 
It's just from, I mean, God, immeasurably more than all we can have. Why buy something when you can get it for free? Right? <laughs> free 99. I love that. I mean, I just, I can't believe it. If I wasn't living it, I wouldn't believe it. You know, and we were blessed to have Bethel Free Will Baptist Church in North Carolina, Kinston, just leave. I mean, they just came back if you want to hear, you know, some personal stuff as well. And we're having some pastors, Free Will Baptist pastors, coming over in September. And, you know, I, I'm just excited to see. I, people always say, well, what do you want from me? I just want your heart. I really just want your heart. If you want to sponsor kids, that's great. If you want to write to the, if you want to come over, if you want to write us a $372,500 check, I'll take that too. But at the end of the day, Jesus just wants our hearts. You know, if you come out of this going, you know what? I really have a heart for the kids down the road, and I feel God leading me to do something there. I need to, you know, and you, f he doesn't need us. You know, that's one thing I learned about the first brain tumor. I said, God, don't you need me? You called me to do this. What are you thinking? This is not a part of my plan. I don't have time to have a brain tumor. I don't have time to have surgery. You're really messing up things. And he said, Cindy, I don't need you, but I invite you to be a part of what I'm doing. We are invited to be a part of it. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to save the world or save our kids. I'm sorry, I just stepped on somebody's toe. That child is kind of wayward right now. He, he doesn't need us to save them. He's a part of that. We're a part of what he is doing. He's not a part of what we're doing. Keep that in mind. We just surrender. We just say, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but whatever that is, I'll do it. You know, I'm excited for when you guys leave here today, you know, see what God does.